This episode is brought to you by Tama. And if you haven't checked it out, check out the classic series stands that they're offering. They are single brace, super lightweight, but also very sturdy cymbal stands, hi-hat stands, snare drum stand, tom stand, and there's a bass drum pedal. They're all kind of modeled after the designs of the 1960s, but modernized, much more stable and sturdy, easy to adjust but equally lightweight. So check out the four-piece hardware pack, which comes with two cymbal stands, a hi-hat stand, and a snare basket. But also don't forget to check out the classic single pedal, which is a great, easy-to-use, lightweight option, folds up neatly, goes into a hardware bag, no fuss. And also check out the tom stand, which is it's basically a snare drum stand with a longer rod that you can get a rack tom a little bit higher than you would with a regular snare drum stand. So ch- again, check out the Tama Classic Series hardware, and let's get to the show. it we're flying someday i'm telling you someday everyone gets to hear the pre-show which is the real show (laughs) for everyone joining us uh sorry that you're late to the party mike and i've been doing what we normally do which is we get everything negative out of our out of our brains and out of our mouths uh for about 20 minutes and once we've finally exhausted all smack talk of the entire world (laughs) Politics, drum industry. Once we get all that out, then we go, you ready? One, two, three. And then we snap, and then we can be here. Pleasant with you on your uh, morning run, your evening drive, whatever you're doing, and that beat is sweet. Uh, how do you say his last name? Olsen? Frederick Olsen. Yeah, Frederick Olsen. Frederick that's, Olsen. That's my boy, man. He was one of the early, early students of Mike'sLessons.com, had never played drums, never taken a lesson. I wow. mean, this is like 10 years ago. And then he attended our very first advanced drum camp and, uh, you know, just has grown and grown and grown. Uh, he came to the teacher camp a few years after that. Be, I mean, won like an award for Sweden's greatest drummer. I mean, he's, he's yeah, amazing. He man. won the Roland V Drums World Championship two in Germany, it looks like, or I mean, yeah. to the finals. And then he was a winner of the Swedish National Drum Championship in 2015. Man, you that's well done. And where is the United States National Drum Championship? Let's get on it. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. But I can tell you this. He also took Mike's <clears throat> lessons or the concept of Mike's lessons and adapted it for something for himself, which was fitness. And oh, cool. he started offering online fitness lessons. He's he and he went and it was the same as his drumming. He went from just kind of skinny average Swedish kid to like ripped and <laughs> just and, and his whole thing was, and you'd have to know Frederick to understand he is one of the most humble people in the world. And so his, of course his humble first thought was I can't wait to tell people how I did this so I can help them. Yeah, it wasn't cool. like, hey, Mike, tell me how to make money off the Internet. You know, it was yeah. like, I want to help more people. So super proud of Frederick. I just love that kid. And I love the fact that when he came to camp, I remember telling him, OK, uh, clearly your only influence has been Mike's dot com. You sound like a clone. Mm. And as <laughs> as honoring as that is, it's not cool. So for him to be playing stuff where I have no idea where he got it from, I can't hear the influence anymore, I just hear him as a musician, I couldn't be more proud. That's the journey I want all of my <clears throat> students to go on, but that he's actually done it at an advanced level and, uh, and just going around Europe winning championships. So that is all done in GarageBand, so that's a free application if you have an Apple product, and he's using an old Pearl Export kit. Um, and what else has he got? Just two mics, it looks like. AKG C214 yeah. is an overhead, an Audi Technica ATM250 on the bass drum. That sounds pretty dang good for, for that stuff. Uh, there's a video. Should we link to it? Yeah, I mean, you guys have to see what he's doing because when you hear it, you might think it's something that it's not. And when you see him do it, it's like, dang, that's big kid stuff right there. <laughs> um, I got to say, you know, we've, especially maybe because I'm an Audio Technica artist or whatever, but we've never really talked about the C214. That is one of the best value microphones on the planet. I've I think. never used it. Really? Okay. So you, you know what AKG 414s are, right? Yeah. Like the class. So it's just that if that microphone didn't have any switches on it, it was in cardioid pattern. But it's half the price. It's like four ninety nine, but it's just in cardioid pattern. Ah, well, it it's a great, great I mean, mic. How often do you realistically switch to Omni or or uh, what is it? Figure eight. I don't figure very eight. often. My room doesn't sound good no. enough to even want to incorporate. How many all of that? us? I was going to say, how <laughs> many of us have enough money where we go? You know what? 
let me get that ceiling up in this besides Ash Stone. <laughs> Maybe Ash is the only one that literally had a windmill built into a studio and had the ceiling built out of specific wood to resonate oh, properly. But I know funny. that I'm looking at my stained ceiling tiles right now. And I don't want to mic them. So, yeah, uh, someday we should do like an overhead mic shootout because I, I love, even as an audio technic artist, I love the AKG C214. So, I think Great if mic. you YouTube spicy drum beat with music and then Frederick, which is F R E D R I K, you'll get his beats. So, the stick clicks you're hearing is him doing sort of like that Buddy Rich trick where he's hitting mm-hmm. the sticks together. It's all done live. Pretty impressive. Yeah, that's why I think it's important to see it. Really good stuff. So, so what's going a, on? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, this this leads right into what's going on. I, w- <laughs> I was doing videos this morning and yesterday where I had like 10 snare drums. I had to just kind of like one after the other, demo, 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 because the cameras were all okay. set and I just wanted to just get them all done. I had all the drums on the floor in front of the kit and I forgot to put paper underneath the wires. Oh. But it was the most awesome room sound. Really? The room mic, because I just have a stereo room yeah. mic five feet in front of the kit, four feet, six feet in front of the kit or so, and it's like five feet off the ground. That's my room mic. So it was picking up those snares, uh, the wires buzzing, but it just made it sound like reverb. There were like wow. six snare drums. If you've never done that, put a bunch of snare drums in front of your kit, you're going to hear just the rattle, and it, it makes it sound like... You know, the drums are being thrown back against a big concrete wall. You, you do know that right now, broke drummer guy on his run is like, yeah, I'll take six of my non-existing <laughs> snare drums, Dawson. You and Johnston snare walk and just go suck it. <laughs> well, I think even one snare drum, if you put the mic close to it. True. I, okay, there it. we go. I think everyone has two, hopefully. Um, and if you don't, your second one is on the way for Christmas. Everything's all good. Yeah, just take six snare drums, uh, preferably all Craviatos if you get a chance. Well, if anyone wants to buy a snare drum, we have one of the Modern Drummer 40th Anniversary 3-ply mahogany walnut poplars left. That was one of the drums that was vibrating. Oh. So, And that was really the one that was making the best tone. So. <laughs> it was. It's great for a room simulator. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, All right. let's talk real quick about what's coming up. So we are going to be adding some features to the podcast in 2019. You and I had a... A talk on the phone yesterday, which is rare for us. We try not to ever speak to each other unless yeah, right. we have to. <laughs> Don't want to waste so. any of that good content. <laughs> good. Uh, yes, we uh, we need to be crushing it in 2018 with what, what did you have? Gushy content or was it mushy? I can't remember. Uh, uh-huh. Anyways. You had like an adjective for your Milky? content. No, ah, I don't. We're, we're going to go down a bad place. Um, so we talked yesterday and we talked about uh, just to refresh, especially if you're someone new to the podcast. Moist? Maybe you don't know this. Moist. Moist content. That's what it was. Uh, now I'm going to throw up in my mouth. Sorry for all of you driving with spouses. So uh, we've talked about in the past, but maybe you don't know. The reason why this podcast doesn't have interviews is since day one, when we had the idea for this podcast, it was based around the idea that we wanted to do what Modern Drummer did for me as a kid. As a magazine, Modern Drummer let me into the industry. It made me feel like I was part of something. And if we had a 45-minute interview, we wouldn't be able to do that. So Mike and I try to hit on a little bit of gear, a little bit of the cool drummers. We try to hit on some educational stuff. And we try to give you what Modern Drummer gave me as a kid. The other reason why is because I really think that interview podcasts, the quality of that episode is based off the person they interview. Well, when you're dealing with artists, some of these cats don't get out publicly very often so (laughs) they don't use their words too often (laughs) right so there you know uh if i was in a room 12 hours a day practicing drums one i'd be a lot better and two i probably wouldn't be as social as i am so we decided that for the consistency of the podcast so that the whatever you may like about the podcast would be the same in every episode we wouldn't have interviews that being said we think it's very limiting to only have two opinions on every topic. So we will be bringing in audio from some of the greatest drummers in the world and some of our friends and just getting their opinions on a few of the things we're speaking about. So instead of having a 30 or 40 minute interview, we might just have be talking about a specific drum or a specific topic and get Mark Juliana's answer on that or, or someone else that we're able to get some audio from. 
And we are going to open it up. So if you have any questions you would, you're dying to get your favorite drummers to weigh on in on, uh, you can send it to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Just keep in mind it needs to be short, something that, that can be answered in a couple sentences rather than our typical listener questions where we can go five, ten minutes on one topic. We want, for instance, what's your go-to ride cymbal? What's your favorite yeah. snare drum head? Do you tune the top head higher than the bottom head? Those very specific kind of questions. Because hopefully we can get half a dozen guys to weigh in, guys or girls, to weigh in on each each question. So mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, just put in the subject podcast question or something so I know what you're talking about. And we'll, we'll also have some of our own, too. So it won't be every episode where we have listener-submitted questions, but if we can get it in every episode, that'd be great. Boom. All right, so I've got some news for you. Oh, no. Okay. So you know that I've had that prototype Gretsch for a while. And that is a f- the brass. five, yeah, five by fourteen, chrome over brass, powder coated black. But then where it changes is in all the hardware. It's got new classic lugs, which uh-huh. they don't make the new classic line anymore. It's got Brooklyn hoops, double flange hoops, and then it's got the um, was the lightning throw off, and then it's got the forty uh, strand wires on the bottom. So that was the metal version. Mm-hmm. The only problem is Gretsch does five. And six and a half. Those are their metal sizes. Uh-huh. And so there's no flexibility there. When you deal with wood, you're dealing with you know, a shell that's really a tube. They can cut it however you want. So mm-hmm. the wood version showed up today. And what size is it? It's five and a half <laughs> by 14, <laughs> which kills me to say that. But it, uh, I know that I'll get ripped on <laughs> social media if I don't. Uh, so five and a half by 14 it's the Brooklyn shell, but okay. we did double 45-degree bearing edges, Okay, uh, top and bottom, extra-wide snare bed to fit the 40 strands, which the Brooklyn doesn't come with the 40 strand. It comes with the 20. Okay. So we went super extra-wide, and then three sets of hoops, single-flange hoops, double-flange hoops, and die-cast hoops. So I'll, I'll swap all three out. Okay. And, and oh, and then... Uh, uh, new classic lugs as well. So this is so Brooklyn. For those of you that don't know, shell wise, that is maple, then four plies of poplar, then another ply of maple on the inside. Yeah, it's basically a poplar drum shell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's you know that's what's funny is all Gretsch drums are that they're only maple on the outside and inside. The yeah. in, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, and then all the middle gum. in uh, is gum, and except for in the. Uh, in the broadcaster, then you're dealing with a three-ply shell, which goes maple, poplar, maple. Uh-huh. So that's the only drum that has more maple than another type of wood, yet they're all called our maple custom, our maple this, our yeah. maple that. And it's like, it ain't no maple. That's funny. I mean, it, it, I don't know for a fact, but I, I believe it's because you call something a maple drum back in the day. You call something a maple drum, you can charge more than if you called it a poplar drum. But we've identified Absolutely. the sound of that. I mean... It's kind of like we overlooked the fact that even though the poplar is cheap and soft, that's the sound. Even though the gum is cheaper and softer, that's right. really the mahogany. Yeah, like that's the right. sound. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, what isn't the the inner? What's the slingerland that you and I both have? It's that a has mahogany, big old right? piece of poplar on the inside. It's mahogany. Oh, oh it's poplar. Yes. I, if you have the same one I have, it's mahogany on the interior, exterior. It could be maple, could be mahogany because it's painted. I have no idea. But the okay. middle ply is poplar, I'm pretty sure. Wow. And that's that's just Crazy. the sound. <laughs> that is, it is funny, though. I, I mean, I, I think back to being 13 through 20 when my life, everything I knew was built off of drum magazines and drum DVDs. And maple was good, and everything else sucked. Yeah, exactly. All maple shells. I had no like, reason for it. I'd never <laughs> tested anything. I didn't own anything. I just knew I had a cheap drum set, and someday I would have a maple drum set. <laughs> crazy, crazy how that marketing does that to us. Anyway, so yeah, so the snare is still in the box. Oh, cool. Uh, so I'm going to, as soon as we get done with this, I'm going to open it up and so film that. Why is it new classic lugs? You just like the, the look of them? That's like a tube lug style thing? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's what they had on, it's so funny, uh, I put it up, the original prototype when I put it up, someone was like, love to see that Gretsch is ripping off those tube lugs. I was like, what? <laughs> you ever seen a Gladstone snare drum? Like, you ever, this is like from the 30s, bro. Like, no, they're <laughs> like, no, no, they're not ripping off anything. They've had this for a very long time, but they have their own design on them. 
uh, which I, I love. So I happen to love those those lugs. I always have. I love anything that's a tube lug but doesn't look like your standard Ludwig 20s tube lug mm-hmm. uh, because they did that and they crushed that. And I think that's the most iconic tube lug in the world. But Gretsch's have a little different look to them. So it has the tube lugs. This isn't going to be an eight lug. And then I'll try out all the different hoops. But the the thing was, I just said, I want the most sensitive wood snare drum you can make. So they went double fi- uh, 45s and then a super wide snare bed. So we'll see what happens. Nice. So Keep what, you are posted, you, what are you expecting it to offer that the brass one doesn't? And um, honestly, I'm hoping that the extra half inch will give a little bit more volume ceiling for my students that are rock drummers and that might get a little choked out by the 14 by five. I don't know if that'll be the case. Hmm. And, um, and I know that 14 by fives for your average rock drummer and maybe heavy pop drummer, they look weird. They look there. It's like, what is that little thin thing? <laughs> and then one half inch, they're like, Oh, that's just a tank. And I'm like, all right. Um, so I get that. And yeah. And I honestly, I really don't know. I remember when I was in Spain recently, I played my dr- drum for soundcheck and Richard Spaven came over and he goes, dude, what is that drum? And I told him and he's like, that is the most wood sounding metal drum I've ever heard. And I'm like, well, mm. wait till you hear my metal sounding wood drum <laughs> blow you away, man. So, uh, I, the good thing is I know what I want. I can hear it in my head and the drum I have right now is the drum that is the most consistent when I take it with me. Uh, now obviously I love my ANFs. I love my Danette snares. I love all that. But one, I'm not endorsed by those companies. Mm-hmm. And two, I feel like those are in that boutique price range where I'm looking for something in that $500 or under price range that my students are that are ready to make that move to their first professional snare drum can have. And also as a fan, I mean, I'm an artist of Gretsch, but I'm an artist because I'm a fan. I'm a huge Gretsch fan. And I want Gretsch to have a standardized snare drum that if you don't know everything about every wood type and every size and every hoop, you can just count on like, okay, this is the Ludwig Black Beauty of snare drums in the Gretsch lineup. Yeah. You know? And you um, won't be disappointed if it's super expensive and you're like, oh, it sounds like a snare drum. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what I, it's like, I want you to go, oh, wow, that sounds like a snare drum. It's like, exactly. That's yeah. what I want. So I that's, that's what I'm looking for with that. That's a good point that maybe we've talked about before, but as, you know, as I was building my snare collection, I made a couple jumps up that I shouldn't have made. I should have worked my way up to it. And I think, okay. Like, I didn't buy this drum, but I got to spend time with a Joyful Noise uh, Black Beauty style drum. Ooh. And, and it was too much. Like, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tame the beast. It was like, it's, really? it's, okay. giving me, it's giving me a little bit of too much. So then I ended up buying, like, a pork pie uh, version big of black yeah, Big Black. Black but it's, or- yeah, but that's a welded shell and not a seamless. So I kind of learned what that drum sound is with that drum. And that was only 250 bucks. And then when I finally invested in the seamless, I felt like my ear was ready for it. So I think gotcha. as you're building a snare com- collection, don't think you have to go right for the cream of the crop. I think it's totally Agreed. cool to buy a cheaper version of that drum, learn what it does. So then when you get the real version, you can actually understand how it's that much better. Rather than, I mean, yeah, when I got that joyful nose, it's like, I don't, I don't like this drum. It's just because I wasn't ready for it. My ears just couldn't handle it. You know what? I think that's a really good point. What I'm looking for is a drum that if my student bought it, I don't have to come to their house to tune it to its sweet spot. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for a simple snare drum that always sounds great. You know, obviously you have to tune your drum, but I know that right now with the one that I have, I love it, but I almost feel like it takes me to get it there. Mm. And I'm I'm kind of scared to be like, no, no, go buy this. And it's like, ah, oh, buy it, but let me put the heads on. Let me t- tighten the wires. Like, yeah. It's a finicky drum, and I'm looking for something a little easier to play where it's like, yeah, I took it out of the box, tuned it through a gel on it, and it sounded amazing. It's yeah, like, right. Cool. Because that's honestly, with some of the, like with my ride symbol, I kind of feel like, yeah, if you hit it and liked it in the store, take it home, you'll like it even more. Mm-hmm. Everything's good. Um, so before we move on, I know we got to move on and start talking about stretching, but... Did you see what's going on with me and Jefferson over at Sugar? (laughs) (laughs) Call me a stave hater. Call me a stave hater publicly. Where did he find that photo of you? It was perfect. (laughs) Dude, it's it's so funny. Like when I do a photo shoot, I – 
if I'm doing a photo shoot for Gretsch or whoever, <laughs> at the end I'll always ask the the photographer, "Hey, can we do a couple shots of me pointing? Because I'll put text wherever I point for uh-huh. clinics. For so those are for festivals and stuff. So he must have." Because I didn't give him that, so he must have stolen that photo from a different one, cropped out the text, and then put in the Stave Hater Chronicles. It just was the perfect amount of smirk. Like It was. I'm all, hey! Uh, so, if you guys don't know, I've never been a fan of Stave snare drums. Oh, my goodness. And how would you describe a Stave snare drum? Like a, a wine barrel? If yeah, somebody I mean, doesn't know like what a Stave like a, drum is. A conga. It's okay. you know, like vertical so you're looking, strips you're, of right, wood. Right, vertical strips of wood being glued together, right? Yeah. So I think that you know, there's a few people making amazing, amazing stave drums, but the reason why I reached – I actually reached out, if you guys don't know, I reached out to Jefferson to have him change my mind. But the reason why I reached out to him over maybe John at Cherry Hill or something is because I feel like Jefferson is – and Sugar Percussion has weathered the storm. They're a company now, right? Mm-hmm. They're – they feel boutique, but they're a real company, and they and he's cranking out tons of drums, but still doing it on that boutique level. And the other reason is I don't own a sugar drum, uh, mm-hmm. so I just reached out to him and said, "Hey, here's the deal. I've always railed against stave drums. I feel like they are the martial amps of snare drums. You have to turn them up to ten for them to do their job. I don't want to play at ten, so I don't like them." And he's like, "Okay, tell me what you wish it did." I was like, "I wish it was sensitive and." Sounded like a damn snare drum, <laughs> and and Man, I want to know what so, stave drums you have experience with. Exactly. Well, that's the thing is, I told him that I said, "Look, you sent me a stave drum to review a long time ago, but it was you know Middle Eastern Madagascar oh, the fusion wood, yeah, yeah." yeah. And I'm Which like, is basically I, like a metal drum, yeah. I'm like, how about this? Why don't I tell you what I want it to sound like, and then you choose the thickness, you choose the snare bed. The the wood everything because I've never played a you know a standardized uh, stave drum and I felt like when DW came out with the stave drums they were so incredibly thick and yeah, that was my yeah. first experience because I was a DW artist when that happened that they were so thick and I loved them as a rock drummer because I was touring at the time but then when I would do sound check and just you know jam around a bit I was like eh, not a fan um, <laughs> and it wasn't it was not a DW snare drum issue it was just these were massive blocks of wood yeah. so anyway so that's why I reached out to Jefferson I told him and just to be clear I told him right up front I don't even need I don't even need a bro deal like I want to pay for this drum I'm because not I'm not buying a snare drum I'm hiring him to craft me a drum mm-hmm. to me like don't look for bro deals on that yeah it's different than going to Sweetwater and being like, "Oh, it's already made. Can I get twenty off?" You know. <laughs> but if I'm if I'm saying, "Hey, can you take time out of your day and think about me and have me in mind as you're sitting in your shop?" You better you better pay for that stuff. So you know, uh, all the time he's thinking, "I already do this, you sob." I know, I know. <laughs> every one of my it's drums like, I think about is this for everything. To do this. I know, but I, I reached out to him. You know, I just feel like it's different than looking at an online catalog and be like, "I'll take that one." So uh, so yeah, so that's what that's what that was all about. For the people that think I actually hate stave snare drums, I don't hate stave snare drums. <laughs> not a fan, but I don't hate them. But we'll see if if anyone can change my mind. It's Jefferson. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I would I will be surprised if you don't love it. Whatever he, he gives you, absolutely. I think. All right. Well, let's talk about <clears throat> stretching, warming up the limbs. This is something that I, I think all of us think we should do. Then do we do it? And then when we do it, do we do it properly? So it's yeah, a weird topic. It is. I think we're we're all just taught certain things. Um, in in the what issue is this? January issue. Brandon Green he started a new series where he's going to kind of break down the whole concept of warming up and helping your body move more efficiently. So he comes out of the gate basically saying you shouldn't do passive stretching. It's it's a myth. <laughs> it's not good for your body. So uh, passive stretching would be maybe pulling your fingers back towards your wrist and just holding them there. Yeah, like extending your joints beyond their comfortable range of motion, holding okay. it there, and then trying to go further and further each time. He's, his argument, which I have no reason to not think it's accurate, is that the, the tissue and muscles are not elastic. You can't actually stretch them. There's only 1% of them is the elastin material that allows it to bend. Wow. So 99% of those tissues is like a rope. You're just pulling on a rope. Wow, okay. So you could potentially hurt yourself if you go super aggro with it. Okay. 
So he's his theory is the reason we think that that is helping is because it's just warming up the muscles. It's just moving them. It's just getting them engaged. Right. So then, and there's also an element of muscle memory. So when you we get the muscle to a certain point, and then the next time it might go a little bit further because it remembers mm-hmm. where it was before. So it's all this this mind games of you think pulling your fingers back super hard is actually getting you prepared for the gig when it could actually injure you and therefore make you play worse. Wow. But I stretch every day. (laughs) Even after reading this, I still do it. So I need to. I I was going to say, I wonder how much of stretching for us is is full placebo effect. Yeah. We have told ourselves that we stretch. We told ourselves that we warmed up in our minds and it's like, yeah, I feel good. But I don't know that I've ever been able to feel that I am looser on the drum set because I actually did stretching rather than that moment where I played drum set so long that all of a sudden I finally feel loose. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to nail down how much of that is mental, how much of that is physical. I mean, I, I stretch every single day, every morning at five thirty in the morning in, in our workouts and um, I can say that I think that it's important to warm up those muscles before you use them. But he's also talking – he's not saying to not do anything. No, He just he, has different techniques. Yeah, and he's also saying if, it, if it, you really think it's helping you, then you should, you should obviously keep doing it. Cause, but the placebo effect is real. I mean it's, it's an actual – I mean there's, there's no arguing against it. Even though it may not be helping, it's still helping you. If it is, if right. it's helping you, cool. But yeah, I think his his caution is for you know what most of us do is we go to the gig super cold and just start ripping our joints in really yes. extreme positions rather than maybe just do a couple jumping jacks to get the blood flowing and then work your way into it. For me, it's definitely a, a meditative thing. Like right. I know if I spend a couple minutes just making sure my hands aren't super stiff, it's more of a mental thing of focusing on it. I've always done a lot of trumpet warm-ups, um, just a lot of stuff between my fingers and my thumb. Oh, so yeah. I'm going from dun, 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 like just uh, tapping my fingers okay. on my thumb, then doing maybe a five-stroke roll between. So if my thumb is the surface, I do a five-stroke roll between middle, middle, index, index, middle, index, index, middle, middle, index. So hmm. da, 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 da. So I'm trying to get those things warmed up when I'm cold. I will say this, warmth in general seems to be the key to me staying loose. When yeah. I was in uh, okay, as an East Coaster, going to make fun of me. I've never owned gloves. <laughs> I bought some for this place called Salt Lake City, Utah. But how many beanies do you have? <laughs> Zero. Oh, really? I thought they were for fashion. And then I, w- I was walking around with Chris Hancock. We're walking around the streets of, uh, oh man, I can't remember. Uh, something city. Anyways, we were, we were somewhere in the snow. It was gorgeous. <laughs> but I was like, my ears are so in pain right now. And then I was like, that's what beanies are for. So anyways, oh, goodness. I'm learning. But ha- I kept those gloves on like the whole day, even when I was inside, because it was so nice to have my hands warm. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally touched sticks, it, it wasn't like this, <clears throat> oh, God. That, nothing moves. So I think the warmth is definitely part of it. And like Brandon says, just moving those muscles and getting them yeah. warmed up um, in any way that you want to, I think is super important. Yeah. I've, I've noticed because I, I'm still pretty strict with my technique routine here. When I take a five, 10 minute break at work, I'll go through a bunch of exercises. And each time I repeat them, it gets smoother and more fluid. But if I take a half hour off and you know it's kind of cold, my hands are cold right. again, and I, I, yeah. it's not like I can pick up right where I left off. So it's totally agreed. It's totally like I think yeah, yeah, you have to like warm up every single time, which is why when I play gigs, I like to I like to be moving the sticks up until the moment I get on the stage. I don't want to warm up at yeah. noon and then play the gig at eight and feel like I'm good to go. That just doesn't work. Completely agree. I completely agree. And I spend a lot of time if I'm backstage. There's people there, and I don't want to annoy them by ripping chops on a pad. Uh, usually, I'm playing holding the sticks at the top, playing them on my forearms. I'm mm-hmm. just playing single strokes just to keep those fingers moving, doubles, paradiddles, everything. I'm playing on my forearms. And uh, I think staying warm is 
the most important thing. And I think Brandon's right. I mean, the one thing I would never do is show up with two minutes to go until it's time to play and then just bend my wrist back as far as I could. Yeah, just start yanking on your, your yeah. fingers backwards. Okay, let's do this, man. Like, that's, that sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. Well, uh, if you can tell that Mike and I are being somewhat vague about this, it's because there are massively complex words in this uh, <laughs> article that n- nor neither Mike or I understand or can pronounce. So please check out Brandon Green's article. Yeah. I'm really happy that he's been a part of this whole thing. So there is a video that accompanies this part one where he gives you all the, the data rather than us kind of fumbling over it. But the moral of the story is don't stretch too hard i think <laughs> Take yeah it easy. I, I think yeah and and uh, and keep in mind that staying warm through motion is probably as beneficial as stretching yeah i think so um because i mean if you think about it, like when you're bending your wrist back as far as you can at what point do you have a single stroke roll that the stick comes back <laughs> so far that it, it hits your elbow like that but never I, happens. I tell you, this is why I'm crazy. I know this, but when I do the Bill Bachman single stroke roll exercise right. between every repetition, I pull the fingers back on each hand, forward yeah. and backward. I, I do the prayer the move. Effect. I do, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I'd have the exact same thing. And then the next time I play it at five BPM faster, it's more fluid. Not I've right. not once tested it. Don't stretch and see if you play more fluidly in between. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I, I, I get it, man. I think we all have our habits. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's the same thing as baseball players. They swing two bats before they go yeah. up to hit, and it's been absolutely proven time and time again that that does not help you whatsoever. <laughs> doesn't make you swing the bat faster, but they feel like it How does. They Weighted have to golf clubs. redo their, uh, their oh, batting gloves between every yeah. pitch. <laughs> Holy hell. That's, that's what, that was the downfall of baseball when they allowed that to happen. All right. Oh, Check man. out Brandon Green's article. It is awesome. And he's definitely somebody that can throw six or seven snares around his his love custom kit. He's got that rack of snares back there. So he's doing just fine. I'm telling you, try uh, Put some of your snares in your room, and I bet it adds a little bit of sizzle that you, you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. It's like a little like a reverb. Oh, I bet. Like an overdrive reverb. I can anyway. totally see that working. That that sounds like a very Aaron Sterling thing that he would do for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm sure he's done it. I know I'm obviously not the first person to think of that, but it was just a happy accident. As yeah. I was mixing them today, I was in my headphones like, what is that like trashiness in the outside of the mix? I'm like, oh, it's all the snare drums buzzing. So cool. <laughs> Love it. All right, well, let's talk about somebody that has a very organic sound and is probably one of the most influential drummers around uh, even if you don't know it, I always hear people playing things where they they might not know where they got it from, but I know where they got it from. And I think the man I'm talking about right now is Mr. Jason McGurr. And I think that Jason is, even though one of our favorite drummers is still very active, Matt Chamberlain, I think if you were just starting, Jason McGurr could be your Matt Chamberlain. Yeah, uh, I'd he agree has with that. the tone, the texture. He <clears throat> he, but he also just has this very I went when I saw him do the Modern Drummer Festival I had no idea that the drummer from Death Cab for Cutie was that well studied uh-huh. and could sit at the front of the stage the Modern Drummer Festival with all the greatest drummers on the planet watching and do a snare solo like yep. it was like yep. I mean that that stuff freaks me out. <laughs> yeah, he had an awesome I, kit too. He had a big old twenty six inch bass drum with no muffling. That Ludwig. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was man. Awesome. And they brought it out one piece at a time. Yep. And yeah, I mean that was really well done. But you guys, uh, in I know that maybe not a lot of you have had the opportunity to do clinics. But I'm telling you right now, doing a clinic on a drum set, one thing. You have no idea how much confidence that rack tom that's hiding your hands is giving you. <laughs> you take that away and let the whole world of drummers see every ounce of your technique. And every time your pinky flies off, woo, oh, it's scary, man. man. Yeah. It is scary. And Jason did it like a stud. So yeah. uh, are you friends with Jason? Do you know him? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're super BFFs, but, you know, we met. Just because he's a jerk? Yeah, he's just such a jerk. I can't stand him. <laughs> No, I mean, when he played the festival, I mean, I'm a fan of the band first, so you know, I got to know him there, and, and I've gone to see the band a couple of times. He's a really good dude, very supportive. I think you're right, and he brought, for me, he brought sophistication to indie rock that wasn't yes. there before. Like, all of a sudden, yes. like, whoa, now here's this guy who's clearly listens to all the greats in jazz and, and you know, all the classic uh, studio drummers, and but yet he's playing in a band that's that's 
very indie rock. It kind of it elevated that genre to me, where I used to think of indie rock as punk rock influenced, but not quite right. as aggressive. Which I'd love that too, just kind of go for it mentality. But right for me, he brought a little an extra level of thoughtfulness and and creativity to the genre that I do think it still keeps him at the top of that world. I think any indie rock band, like college rock band now, they all kind of sound like Death Cab in a way, I think. Yeah, and I mean, that's the it. thing with Death Cab that was different, too, was that they weren't staying in that aggressive indie rock world. They also got extremely dynamic and, and got extremely... Yeah. Actually, the you know, for those of you that didn't have black hair with a single bleach spot in the front while wearing women's jeans. The term emo is short for emotional. So oh, the women's jeans know, thing, man, you went there, huh? Yeah. Dude, I, I, trust me. I was touring from 2000 to 2008. I was there when it all happened. We were out on the road with sunny day real estate. We we're out on the road with far. Oh, I was there. Uh, man, I and remember then, when all my friends were buying into the get some Jordash. I'm like, you are crazy, man. You are absolutely freaking dude. crazy. I stopped right when it was Dickie's white tank top and a slam. Hat. That was, oh, that was it. Man. And then I was like, I'm out, quit my band. I went straight to Abercrombie and Fitch. I was like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I'm not trying to fit in. What's a slammed so, hat? Slammed hat, like when you wear your hat so you can't even see out of it because it's so low, you just slam it straight down. <laughs> Big old gauge earrings, you, you definitely lip piercing. don't bend the bill, right? It has to be no. Let's be straight out of the store. Absolutely, <laughs> just slam that hat, put on your Ben Davies, good to go. Anyways, poor Jason, he's probably listening. This is like, hey guys, can you talk about me? It's my feature. Oh goodness. So sorry. Anyways, when I got into Death Cab. <clears throat> And what was the band before Death Cab? Postal Service, I believe. Uh, I think uh, the that, singers. Band. I think that was just a side project. Okay. So, anyways, but I remember, <clears throat> like, Death Cab gets very quiet, and you can't mm -hmm. be just a loud rock drummer and then be loud rock drummer quieter. You either have legitimate dynamics or you don't. And the dynamics are not just about playing quiet; it's about playing in a certain style and giving things a vibe and jason mm -hmm. had that and i remember that really blew me away and then the other thing you and i've talked about this in the past but we understand that certain people have done things in the past but whenever you hear it for the first time that's who did it for you and so even though i know that steve gad used his foot left foot in a groove and 50 ways to leave your lover mm -hmm. grapevine fires like hearing someone use their left foot as a note in a halftime shuffle, that was to me just mind blowing. And I just thought, yeah. oh my gosh. When the wind picked up, the fire spread, and the grapevine seemed left for dead. And the northern sky looked like the end of day, the end of days. Like that is a very Matt Chamberlain texture. Uh, you know, thing to do, Jim Keltner vibe, but mm -hmm. it's in this halftime shuffle. It's a loop. It's a two bar phrase that I can hear. And I, yeah, it's hearing that. And then that combined with watching his performance at modern drummer, it just immediately, I was like, okay, this is upper echelon yeah. stuff, right? I here. mean, this really kid. How many halftime shuffles were recorded in songs uh, during our adult life? Like, uh, not two? many, right? <laughs> no, I mean, that's, what's so funny about that being such a famous groove is people are like, Hey, do you have a halftime shuffle playlist? I'm like, okay, take out Peg, Rosanna, and uh, not Peg. You mean yeah. Home at Last? Yeah, Home at Last and uh, Home at Last, Rosanna and Fool in the Rain. Fool in the Rain. What are you left with? Like uh, Grapevine Fires? Yeah. I mean, really? Like there aren't obviously there are more than that, but it's it's something that when you do it. Well, let me put it this way. When you do do a halftime shuffle, how do you not get compared to those three tunes? Mm -hmm. And Jason's never gets compared to those. Yeah, yeah. No one says, oh, yeah, it's like the Fool in the Rain thing. It's like, no, 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 it's the Grapevine Fires thing. That's true. And even even Picaro's Rosanna beat, he says he stole it from Purdy and John Bonham. So you got Purdy and John Bonham. Jeff Picaro did a mix of the two. And then no one touched it for 20 years. <laughs> and then when that happened, that's what I was saying is it was the dynamics of that groove Everyone else had like just laid into it, mm -hmm. and and Jason was just chilling on it. Um, and 
it just had the right vibe. It had the right, and it had the thing that you and I love, where it's like, uh, is that a hi hat? Is that a tambourine? What is that? Yeah, and I don't want to know. The ghost notes are blending video. right in. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty beautiful. So he is he's on the opposite as me. He's going one hundred percent traditional grip, where I've mm. abandoned traditional grip. Where if I find myself using it, I smack myself immediately and and stop. <laughs> I, was, I was doing the uh, a demo of a 13 inch snare this morning and obviously I'm going to try to play like Steve Jordan and obviously I went to traditional grip and obviously it sounded bad so <laughs> I was like stop and obviously it. you smacked yourself and that's why you have yeah. that mark on your forehead you haven't played traditional grip in two months why do you think all of a sudden you're going to why would it to just it? sound amazing now it's like well maybe it's marinated that's all maybe it finally assimilated well yeah Jason but his traditional grip especially when you watched you know, I'm sorry that I keep referencing that Modern Drummer video, but that had a huge impact on me. When you watch it, it's it's the reason we all try to play traditional grip because he has that flow yeah. with it. It just comes out so, so incredibly smooth. Well, he um, explains it in his, his story in the January issue where it, it was, which I can see this. You, know, you play big stages, big theaters, you lose your sense of, of dynamic control. Of so for him... If I'm not misquoting him, the traditional grip puts him back in that comfort zone. Like you're in your studio, you're just playing drums. You don't have to hit a rim shot that the upper tier seats can hear. So I can see that and I can respect that. Whereas, and I probably would maybe think the same way because I know I overplay whenever I'm playing bigger rooms. I just feel like I have to project more sound and it's just silly because I end up just blowing my hands out like within two or three songs. Well, it would be a lot nicer if they'd put the PA behind us. The problem is they put yeah. it in front of us, so we I, don't hear it. Oh, it's such so a it's really hard to remember. Sound it's just mid range exactly. guitar amps and and snare drum. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's it. Well, you know the the other thing about Jason, I would say, if you guys don't follow him on social media, please do because I love the fact that he's always posting stuff that you think like, well, that seems awfully simple, but then you look at the detail in which he's playing these simple exercises and that he's not moving on to the most complicated, oh, it's for Instagram, i got to put in more notes. Right. Like he, He'll sit there and play straight double strokes in the hotel room, yeah. post it, and then you're left going, wait, have I moved on too quick from double strokes? Why is this guy with the greatest technique ever working on double strokes at 70 BPM? Hmm, maybe I've got a little more work to do. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's one of my favorite players for sure. Well, everyone, please check and check out Jason McGurr. Uh, you can check him out in the January issue of Modern Drummer, and you can find him anywhere on social media. And he's worth a follow. He's not one of those guys that's just repurposing content. He's actually creating stuff for you from the road and letting you in a little bit on his life. Last name is spelled M, little c, big G, E, double R. All right, it's time to thank our sponsor, Tama. Uh, they wanted to make sure that we talked about the Classic Series, and I've been I've been road testing this stuff for several months now. It's been my primary hardware for every gig where I have to take equipment, and it is, it is pretty much the best lightweight stuff that I've come across. I did, a, um, I did a loud rock gig two weeks ago where I was swinging for the fences, 2B sticks, nylon tips, trying to break everything. Wow, going in. I had 20-inch crash cymbals, 21-inch rock ride, quick beat hi-hats. I mean, I was going full Josh Freese mode on these things, and they did not budge. The hi-hat didn't slide. The crash didn't tip. The snare drum didn't dip back or anything. Rock solid. So it's all based on the the old vintage style, like Ludwig stands. So it's super compact. The uh, cymbal stands are ridiculous. They fold up like smaller than a, one of those wire uh, music stands. Wow. Ridiculous. So I had two of those, and then I had uh, the snare drum stand. They also make a, a stand for the rack tom that I use all the time. It just gives you a little bit more height than a regular snare stand. I think the clear um, surprise is the hi-hat stand because it's a flat-based hi-hat stand, and I've had zero luck with those in the past. And this thing, it just felt like a normal hi-hat stand, super sturdy. So check them out. There, There is a hardware pack that you can get. It's about $280 online. You get two cymbal stands, snare stand, and the hi-hat stand, plus a hardware bag the Tama Classic Series. The bass drum pedal is also great, and I would also recommend checking out the Tom stand if you you fly your rack Tom off a snare stand. It's great stuff. Love it. So let's talk about some cymbals, shall we? Um, These are rad. (laughs) And uh, I got to say that 
the ride in this pack that we're about to discuss, it might be my pick of the week. Oh, yeah? I was, yeah, because I, I was like, oh, that sucks, man. Poor Dawson's camera's suffering from barrel distortion because the ride <laughs> looks like it's smaller than the crash. <laughs> and then I thought, that's not that. Is, oh, my gosh, it's a 16-inch ride. We are talking about <laughs> Turkish Symbols, uh, the Chris Wabich travel set, yep. and dang. Uh, wow. So Chris is... Uh, He's a touring drummer who's you know, he's all around the world all the time. So he, he he's had trouble with losing his cymbals. If he has to check them, they'll get sent mm-hmm. to a different airport, and he's supposed to yeah. be in Taiwan, and the cymbals are Lord knows where. So he designed this he designed this set of cymbals so you can put them in a carry on bag, you can fit them in a suitcase, and so you don't have to worry about any of that like being forced to check stuff. So it's a 16 inch flat ride with a couple rivets. A 17-inch medium-thin crash that can also double as a light ride, 13-inch hi-hats, and that's it. So his philosophy is if you have th- these three symbols, you go to any gig. If you have a back line where you can request stuff, it doesn't matter what they have. You can, you know, If they have a bigger, a bigger ride symbol, you'll deal with it. If there's some extra crashes, you can deal with it. As long as you have these three things, um, You're he, get through. he feels he can get through his gigs. Now, he plays mostly acoustic music, jazz uh, and you know a lot of improvising. So the ride symbol was the one thing. I'm like, okay, if you're not playing super controlled volume, it's not going to be for you because it will only totally. do so much. There was one comment on the video when we posted on Facebook where someone said, "These sound great. I wish I could hear the ride symbol." Well, it's a 16 inch flat ride with two rivets, right. and I was That's smacking it, it. So you're hearing like it only goes so loud, which is cool, right? Yeah, I mean that's what <clears throat> excuse me, that's what I actually loved about it was mm-hmm. that it, it did that. And and I think the the other thing that I love about this pack before we listen to it is that the concept wasn't to create the greatest symbols ever. It was to create a set of symbols that you could literally put in your travel on. Yeah, exactly. Travel on? Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> travel bag. Travel on. <laughs> Book bag, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're not putting this in your uh, European man purse, but you could put these in your suitcase and have hats. <laughs> what? That's better you're, than women's jeans. Oh, gosh. All right. What we are you on saying? Fire today. <laughs> Anyways, I love that this was created with something in mind for the traveling drummer because I do check my bag or check my symbols. Mm-hmm. And I check them every time. And there are certain countries that I might even have to have a, a you know where you pick up your symbols and then uh, take them through customs and then get to the next port you're going to. But I'm like, there's no way my symbols are making it through. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's it's scary. Or maybe nothing nefarious happens, but they just don't make it. They just get sent somewhere else. Yeah. So and then you're stuck um, with dealing with whatever they have. Right. Which may and, uh, and I think that's really cool. The other thing that he mentioned about this was that these are extremely consistent for being handmade symbols, yeah. which is something that I think we at some point have to discuss. Is it a positive or a negative that there's so much variation in handmade symbols? But before we get into anything too off topic, let's give these a listen. So for me, the hi-hats and the crash are, are just good. They work in any yeah. situation. The ride symbol, I, I can understand why he chose this kind of more unexpected piece because you're never going to backline get a good flat ride on a backline right. request ever. Right. So you get like a yeah, nice and I, and I kind of I feel like really you could get through any gig with those hats and that crash yep. because you could ride on it. Mm-hmm. So I that's what I love about that 16-inch ride. With rivets, it's like, okay, cool. I've got the standard stuff covered. Let me get a little bit of art in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's something you'll never 
you'll never get your request met for a beautiful handmade Turkish flat ride with rivets. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah. 16, by the way, if you yeah, have 16. it. So I have, a, I have a question. Okay. Not totally related to these symbols, but is that the first time you've done a, a gear review and done a little bit of your Dawsonisms, like putting some loops and stuff? Probably. I made that one... That was really cool because it gets it gives you a chance to hear the symbols in a musical setting rather yeah. than just everything sounds flawless without music. It's like yeah, it's amazing. You have reverb, great. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm glad you said that because I I always almost always do these demos with some sort of music and then I just don't leave the music in because I'm just afraid people would just want to hear the stuff by itself. Mm. This was I think I did this maybe a month before the pace at clinic so i was just kind of going for it every opportunity yeah. i got on the kit it's just just play who cares about right give me the hi-hats nice and clean and it's like just just right. play uh, well yeah i mean that's in the end that's kind of what i want to hear when i'm hearing it being reviewed i mean you know I, I would love to hear maybe if if it is on a separate track then just play without it for a while and then just fade the track in after 30 seconds um but I, I thought it, I thought it was cool because it gave me a chance to hear these in some sort of a musical setting. It also yeah. gave me a chance to hear okay with that loop and with the way the style you're playing, just like was mentioned on Facebook, that ride isn't going to cut it for that. If you play everything else at that volume, mm-hmm. you would have to match. You'd have to bring everything else down to match the volume cap of that ride symbol. Um, and then if you were playing something else, if you were playing you know some old Sarah McLaughlin track, I'm sure that ride would be amazing. All yeah. just that cross stick and a bass drum you'd be set you yeah know? i mean that's the ride symbol for me is usually the worst sounding instrument to play really quietly so this one mm-hmm. is designed for that like if you're playing yeah. in a tiny little room and you have to barely hit the ride this will still sound like a a really nice rich ride symbol whereas if you have a a regular ride in my experience it just sounds thin like you're not getting the full sound of the the symbol I love that he called the ride the Elvin in your pocket ride. <laughs> right, <laughs> great, just a killer description. Um, it doesn't say in the article, but do you know where this pack is priced? Yeah, if I you didn't, don't, that's I didn't okay. have the price at the moment. I know okay. they are available um, at like Professional Drum, a couple other spots. He's he's working on some dealers here in the U.S. So if I think if cool. you go to TurkishSymbols.com, look for the travel set, you'll get more and more info. Uh, Chris awesome. is kind of taken i mean they're his signature symbols and he's kind of handling getting this stuff out there for people especially in the in the u.s market so hit him up too he's a great drummer chris wabich w-a-b-i-c-h he's just out there working he's always somewhere cool around the world playing cool music awesome awesome all right well let's get into some listener questions you said that the first question might be the only question oh yeah yeah let me let me pull that one up where did it go okay here it is. This is from Walt. Uh, first, it's a comment. I've enjoyed every episode of the podcast, your knowledge, experience, communi- communication skills. Again, I always trip over <laughs> the words that I shouldn't trip over. And love for connecting with uh, and teaching fellow drummers is clear and real. Thank you very much, Walt. Um, here's the question. If each of you is separately stranded on a desert island with one recording, one instructional book, and one instructional video, what titles would you choose? So one one piece of music, one book, one video. It has to be an instructional book, an instructional video. Got it. Go ahead, buddy. Let's start with um, what's an easier one. Should we do the book first? Sure. I would take The New Breed. I haven't mastered it, and I think there's forever ways to vary it, whereas I kind of have syncopation memorized and stick control memorized, so Mm -hmm. I don't need those. So I'm going with New Breed. Gotcha. Oof. Okay. So the New Breed, the creativity is up to you, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if if you just went note for note through the New Breed, probably not the most exciting book in the world, but what you can do with it, similar to Syncopation and Stick Control, is endless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go with something where it's all laid out for you, but it's cool stuff. So I'm going to go with Kim Plainfield's Advanced Concepts. Ah. That's the entire title. Yeah, <laughs> you, you mentioned that one. I don't have that one. i got to check it out. It's a great book. It's Every single page is one topic, and it's advanced stuff on that one topic. So it's like, mm-hmm. here is 6-8 Afro-Cuban, 12 grooves that you've never played in 6-8 Afro-Cuban, and that's it. There's, there's no intro to it, there's no, mm-hmm. and then it's like Samba. 
here's 12 advanced Samba things. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's, it's just like sometimes when, I mean, um, when you need just a new idea based off some, off of something you already know, that's when I'll go to that book and be like, let me go to the paradiddle, the two pages on the single paradiddle. Cause he's doing something with it that I've never thought of. Mm. So, um, yeah, and I, I would agree with you on the Newbury, but since you took that, I will go with Kim Plainfield's Advanced Concepts. Take it. So instructional video. Now, hmm. I would have two that I would have to kind of draw straws for. So either Steve Jordan's The Groove Is Here, I think it's called, just for the sheer um, real factor. Like, that's how that's what it what's what real drumming is all about and just to remind myself like that's that's where you're trying to go with everything but there's not a lot to like practice um okay. and the other one would be jojo Mayer's first dvd the hands because i've still not gotten past the first 10 minutes of actually practicing that stuff so that's right. a lifelong quest i probably would get really tired of watching him in that black leather pants and <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I got to say this, though. Look at JoJo's career. That dude will just say, you know what? I'm doing it, man. And then right when you think, yeah, he's like that guy in the black leather pants. Nope. He's he's now this Einstein dude. And totally say, different dude. Yeah, but yeah, I, the content I in that it. is I, – I, I mean, I barely got the free stroke thing down. So I think for a lifelong hey. study, that. I think lifelong inspiration, Steve Jordan. If I had to pick one, JoJo Mayer. Nice. <clears throat> uh, my pick would have been JoJo Mayer. Because of the exact same reasons and because I think that I don't know if there's anyone in our industry that's living that will do the amount of research that he will on anything. Mm -hmm. So I feel like he's not teaching me how he does it. It's not an artist-driven DVD. It's a mechanical DVD of how to play. And I also love the fact that he doesn't do the whole DVD uh, traditional grip. Mm-hmm. Here's the same thing, match script. So it would have been that, but since you're taking that, and we only have one copy right. in the world, <laughs> so you, you checked it out before I did, I'm going to go with um, Jordan to the Max. So it's Michael Jordan's IMAX movie that he put out, and that helped my stage presence and my mental preparation for drumming more than any drumming DVD ever did because he talks so much about his mental preparation for the game of basketball, for practicing, for performing. Ooh. There's so many lessons in there that – I mean there's so many analogies where if he's playing – if he was playing, say, the Sacramento Kings, we weren't the greatest – aren't mm. the greatest basketball team. Well, maybe him playing the Sacramento Kings and still needing – and still knowing there is some child in the stands that this will be their only Michael Jordan moment ever, he can't take the night off. This mm. is that kid's only moment. Well, if I'm playing to four people – in Albuquerque, New Mexico at a clinic and no one showed up, those four people, this will be the only time they ever see me. I can't take the night off. Mm. I got to put everything I have into it. And all the, that mental preparation that I put into everything, all of it came from that one DVD, Jordan to the Max. Wow. I hope that's available uh, on Netflix or something. Yeah. or And if you can't, I've, I've, I've had to buy it multiple times. Like, yeah. It's it's gotten to the point where I actually had to buy a DVD player just to rip it. So, so, um, but when so when I was touring, it came out in IMAX. That's why it's called Jordan of the Max because it was filmed for uh, IMAX. Right. And every single day, if there was an IMAX theater in the town we we're in, by myself, I'd go there, take a cab, and I'd just sit there and watch it. Wow, cool. Come back. That was like what I did every day on the road for a long time. So super important to me. That's what I'm taking. All right, this is the one that I, I don't know the spur of the moment I could answer. One recording. Oh, for the rest of your life, I don't know that there's anything. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Beethoven's Complete Symphonies just because I know there's so much in that music that I do not understand. And it, it'll wow. take a lifetime for me to finally be like, okay, I, I get it. I don't need to hear any more Beethoven. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I don't know if I could. I mean, I would say probably the first three years of being on that island, I wouldn't listen to anything. Cause I just right. couldn't, you know, after two days of the Beatles' White Album, I'd be like, I'm good, man. I, I just. Uh, so, yeah, I think, man, I'd have to think. I, I can't think in terms of greatness. I'd have to think, think in terms of mood. So it'd probably be like a Genesis Greatest Hits. Uh, mm. You know what? If it was one album that wasn't a greatest hits, it'd probably be uh, Synchronicity. 
Ooh, good choice. The police. That's a pretty much perfect record, I think. Agreed. The songwriting is there for me. I'm a huge fan of Sting. And I feel like I know more about Vinny because I've studied it more, and I haven't studied enough Stuart. Um, Mm. And I feel like Stuart is – I feel like Stuart is actually more mysterious to me than Vinny. Vinny, I just can't do it. It's not Mm. mysterious. I'm just not good enough. (laughs) Stuart, I don't get. I feel like I can do it, and then I can't. Yeah. And so it's like, no, I get it. And then I try to play it, and I'm like, oh, I clearly don't get it. That's a good – So, yeah. So synchronicity. Man, that almost makes me want to say Bob Marley's – legend mm. because it's the same thing where there's just so much magic in that music and if we're on an island why not bob marley <laughs> <laughs> dude that to me is like i i it would make it worse if i'd be walking around with my coconut and a straw and be like this sucks just give me one one thing to teach even if it's a, just an animal just a gibbon a small monkey give me someone to teach all right. I think that's enough listener questions. We crushed uh, we one long one. Yeah, we got two more we'll get to, but we need we could take some more. So mdinfo at moderndrummer.com for your listener questions, and also don't forget your Ask a Pro short questions. Get those into that same address. All right. All it's right. time for that amazing moment, our picks of the week. Now, I promised you guys I would be picking something drum-related, and I really will eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but... This is for you guys. This is not for me. This is for you guys. Lighting. Lighting your drum videos is really difficult. <laughs> and it's – the problem is it goes from those Cowboy Studio Amazon lighting kits with the uh, fluorescent bulbs in them that are like $50 for three yeah. lights. It goes from that to $26,000. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like like Steven Spielberg has to come to your house to set it up. And it's like, wait, well, there's nothing in between. If you guys notice, there's LED panels. And then you film yourself, and you're like, wow, that's not what I look like. That's really harsh. Well, the problem is those little LED lights, they go, they go straight at you. And so they create what's called harsh light. They create really harsh shadows on your face. They actually accentuate the magentas and the greens in your skin tone at the exact same time. Hmm. So the one thing that's cool about soft boxes is they provide soft light. They fill out those shadows. You look a little more natural. Your drum set looks a little more natural. But the great thing about LEDs is they're really cool, meaning not hot. They can be temperature controlled. So you can have from cool temperature to warm temperature and they are tiny, tiny, tiny lights. So there is a new light out called the Savage Edge Light. The Savage Edge Light, what it does is it's just a box or like a rectangle. It's incredibly thin. The entire light is less than one inch thick. Mm -hmm. So it's an incredibly small light. But all of the LED lights are on the edge pointing in to the middle. And that is creating this extremely soft light. So it's the softest LED light I've ever found under Mm $1,000. They're about $300 a piece. And they are incredibly bright. And because they have a temperature dial on them, if you have another light source in the room, you can actually dial them in to match the other light source in the room so you're not dealing with conflicting lights. So the Edge – no, the Savage Edge Light. Edge Light Pro? Yeah, I think yeah, exactly. So there's a little tiny one that you can put on top of your camera, and then there's a bigger one. Uh, And then you'll find a pack that comes with two of them. And you go like, well, that's more expensive than two of them separately. That's because it comes with stands and a carrying case and everything else. Mm-hmm. But the lights are identical. So I just bought two of the lights because I already had stands from my softbox lights. Oh, I'm that's a good these. tip. So you can just put these, if you already have lights like I do, I can just replace yep. them with these. Here's the other thing that you'll love is they, are, they can be battery powered too. And they come with the batteries that last about a full day of leaving that light on. So uh-huh. if you want to just take them with you to a performance or take them into the studio real quick and not bring cords and cables they're totally battery powered and they're they're fantastic so i oh go ahead would you say they put out the same amount of light as a standard more. light kit full-on more. more more all right yeah Beautiful. i was blown away um so i got two of those and then another one that's a similar thing but doesn't matter but anyways um the way i found those was when i went to oakland the other night with lou to watch dave weckel I was early, so I stopped in Berkeley at a camera store, and then I just I was like, "What is that?" And the way that I always test a light is to see how, what the CRI is, like how does it render skin tones. 
I just stand right in front of it and take a picture with my iPhone. My mm. iPhone won't lie. Like, there's no editing. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. That's what I – and I was like, holy crap, that looks like my skin. And so I was blown away. Ordered two of them on Amazon, and I'm really happy with them. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, those big soft boxes are a pain in the butt. They, they are. They're just massive, and they're annoying, and you kick them, and ah. <laughs> Yeah. So They get in the right, way of the shot, too. I mean, I have a small room, oh, absolutely. so they're just totally in the way. Uh, okay. My pick of the week is not a light. It is a record that I discovered. I'm always discovering new Jack DeJohnette records. That that dude has played on so many records that I've never heard before. Uh, this one just popped up on iTunes. It was like a suggestion because I listened to something else. Um, and it is, I cannot pronounce this guy's name, Terje, T-E-R-J-E, Ripdal, R-Y-P-D-A-L. So Terje Ripdahl, Miroslav, the bassist. <laughs> Dude, you are crushing it today, homie. How do you say this? Vitus? Vitus? Yeah. Miroslav Vitus, the bass player who I know from Chick Corea's band with Roy Haynes. He's awesome. And then Jack Ninja on drums. So it's just a trio. Uh, Terj, I'm going to go with that. He plays guitar and synthesizer and organ but it kind of sounds like he's playing like uh like indian guitar like stringed instruments the way he's got it affected so and this a, is from 1979 19, right recorded in 78 i guess it was released maybe in 79 okay. it is on ecm so it's very ambient it's very kind of meditative again it kind of calls like uh, indian raga type like droney sounds okay and jack just plays so beautifully so he's exactly what he's doing on this record is what I want to be doing now. So to know that he made this record a year before I was born is frustrating, but it's beautiful. So the review on All Music says it's an otherworldly soundscape of aching beauty. It's a must-have for aficionados of any member of this trio. I couldn't agree more. It's very ambient. It's it's definitely uh, melancholic. And it's just right up my alley for that. That's the kind of music I wish I could make every single day. So it's just those three names. There's no album title. Terj. <laughs> yeah, get it, buddy. Terj. Ripdoll. Miroslav. Jack DeJohnette. It's an awesome record. It's on iTunes. It's got a blue cover with like a like a stormy sky on it. It's beautiful, Love beautiful it. stuff. I just downloaded it. Jack DeJohnette, man. He can play. He can play like rain, and I love it. That's my vibe. Ooh, nice. Yeah. You can play like rain. Well, you got me to spend $9, and hopefully I got you to spend three to $600. Good it to go, needs man. to happen. I need to get rid of those salt boxes. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll really enjoy these. These are really cool. And for LEDs, it, that's the whole thing, that they just don't produce soft light. But now that these are all... LEDs facing sideways around the edge of the light. It's totally different. Uh, so I would encourage any of you that are looking for that stuff, check out the reviews on on YouTube. Don't just take my word for it. That way you can see somebody test them against other lights. You can see the CRI rating, all that kind of stuff. But they are they are really good. So all right, buddy. Well, that's enough for today. Yeah, it's our Everyone, last episode oh, yeah. before Christmas. So our our outro beat is a Oof. humorous take on um, Little Drummer Boy. I found this not to be funny. I thought it was freaking awesome. I'm going to bump this in my car tonight. (laughs) This is Colby. Um, He says, I don't currently own a drum kit, so this was me playing on a couple of practice pads. The hi-hats are uh, 15-inch Istanbul IGOPS. But he just, and he's playing on a real feel pad and a reflex pad. So he's singing, Little Drummer Boy, messed with the, the pitch of everything. It's pretty funny. I think it's appropriate for us to go into the Christmas week. Um, um, did you freeze? What's going on here? <laughs> I literally thought Skype froze. He no. just stopped. You having a stroke? No, I was listening. It's beautiful. <laughs> Dork. <laughs> All right. Ugh, we've done our best. All Please. Right. Head on over to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast from. Give us a rating and a review. That stuff helps other drummers find this podcast, and we seriously appreciate it. Everyone, have an amazing Christmas holiday. We'll see you in the new year. Yeah, we'll see you before then. Yeah, we got one more yeah. for the new year. Yeah. We'll just see you after Christmas. <laughs> right. Crushing.